1: Welcome listeners to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet in the beautiful and ever-changing Eastern Sierra Mountains. I'm your co-host, Stacy,
0: And I am the beautiful and ever-changing Christopher. And with us is the <laughs> most beautiful and most ever-changing producer, Doug. Hey, Doug.
2: Hi Doug.
0: Good, whatever it is. Good afternoon. We're we're taping in an afternoon. <laughs>
1: yes. That's it's so strange. And no wonder we're so punchy.
0: <laughs> we're mixing it up.
1: We're in and an afternoon on a Friday, too.
0: Oh, that's gonna right. listeners have no idea what's about to come out of our mouths. This is gonna be fun.
1: It is going and we're not even drinking yet. So <laughs> go figure. <laughs>
0: But, you know, today started off really good, right, guys? Because last night, on the date that we're recording this, at least, last night we got some friendly thunderstorms that came through the area yes, and gave us some much-needed downpour and freshened the air and brought the temperatures down. And then I was telling Doug before we started recording on my drive into work this morning, there was the biggest rainbow that stretched from – Mount Tom at the base of Sherwin over all the way over the, the Wheeler Ridge. I had to stop and take a photo of it. It was so amazing. You know, it just put me in a really good mood. And by the time I got up to mammoth to my office and opened my, my feed, there were pictures of rainbows from independence to June Lake and a big one at Crowley where you are. Oh, Stace. It, was,
1: it was so from my bedroom, we have a view of the lake and it mm-hmm. was this huge rainbow arcing out over the lake. And then, there's also this beautiful, you know, electrical wire on poles. <laughs> and, and right in the center of the rainbow, there was a hawk sitting on the pole. And it was a, it was so beautiful. It was like the hawk picked the exact right spot in the middle <laughs> of the rainbow. It was so beautiful. It was a really beautiful way to start the day. Wasn't For it? Sure.
0: I just think it put a lot of us in good moods after, you know, I, you know, we forget how tired we got, you know, the school is still kind of starting up, even though it's been mm-hmm. a few weeks and fires around us and everything, you know, just to kind of have this exhale, um,
3: yes. a, cleanse really
0: nice. a cleanse. A mm-hmm. cleanse, Exactly. It was such a nice, nice thing. And part of the reason we love living where we do, right.
2: It was it really
1: really nice and it's been it's been windy and cooler and a little blustery today and yeah um, yeah we so, might even get a little more rain
0: so uh, fingers crossed I've learned um, after the last episode we always record about a week or so in advance right so last time I learned you know chatting about campground hosts and then just before the episode release the Forest Service closes most of the campgrounds so. Not making any predictions for you know the third week of September when this episode comes out, but right now it's really nice.
1: Yes, we yeah. it, it it is and much much needed and appreciated for sure.
0: So for our book choices this <laughs> this episode, we decided to do something special, right, Stace?
1: Yeah, and something we've talked about for a long time and haven't. We haven't jumped off the cliff, and today we're going to do that. I'm really excited.
0: (laughs) I got my parachute ready. Um, (laughs) So, we have a special guest who who we've got lined up who we'll be talking to in a few, but we decided to focus on young adult books this episode. You know, we've talked about them sporadically over the years, um, but We're just going to devote an entire episode, and part of the reason for this, part of why we were spurred to the cliff edge in the first place, is (laughs) Time Magazine just put out in August its 100 best YA books of all time, right? And isn't those kind of aren't those kind of lists kind of fun? Like you know, best of lists are always you know they draw people's attention and they draw people's opinion, right?
1: Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, because you, there's always, you always disagree with some and agree with, I mean, you know, there's, are so, they're so ripe for conversation. And this was a, re- this was a very provocative list. I, I thought I, I was surprised.
0: I think provocative is the right word for this list. And, and in a good way, because, um, you know, like you, I, someone puts out a list and I immediately want to tear it apart. I look for my favorites. (laughs) If the favorites aren't there, I'm like, well, this list is no good. Um, but this list is actually really good. And actually we should be clear. It's an update. They did a list in 2015 or attempted to, but so much has been published. And so many new writers from a variety of voices have appeared on the young adult scene since 2015. They felt compelled to update this. And I thought that was a good thing to do.
1: I I think so as well. And it, it made me, you know, reflect a little bit, seeing that this had been done in 2015 and then updated in, you know, now it is that the whole young adult genre has exploded. I oh. mean, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years, I mean, you know, when, you know, dating ourselves again, mm-hmm. um, when we were kids, there wasn't really a young adult, you know, you had, you had Roald Dahl and then you had Judy Bloom, and there really wasn't anybody, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then there was the witch of Blackbird pond, which was like held up as the literary, right? Right. Yes. There really wasn't. You're absolutely right. You know, there's maybe you could count on one hand, the number of compelling young adult books that were published any given year in the seventies or eighties and even early nineties. But now it's just there everywhere, and I think part of the reason for that isn't just that there's so many more compelling and diverse writers contributing to the new canon. It's that the books themselves are far more sophisticated and compelling as stories, and adults are reading these. I looked at this right. list, and I thought a, a lot of crossover yeah, reads here,
1: much more crossover, and 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 filmmakers adopting young adult books for film, and which you know. S- well of course i'm just going to jump right in so one of the one of the books on the list is little women right okay so so you know little women is one of my favorite books of my whole life all time i think i've read it 10 times i personally would never have thought of little women as a young adult book even though the the little women are young adults in the the story. I don't know why. I just never, you know, put it in in that category. And um, it was just, it was really interesting to see a book as old as that on this contemporary. And there are a few others that are, that made it to this contemporary list.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a good example because clearly young adult literature didn't exist at all when Louisa May Alcott was alive yeah. in the early <laughs> 1800s, right? So, um, but it got adopted as a young adult title, I think, because of the age of the most of the protagonists. And as well, it's probably been taught in so many high schools and junior highs over the last century that it has kind of entered that canon, right?
1: Yes. And that was another, you know, you talk about books that were taught in high schools. That was another thing that struck me about this list is how many of the books they named are actually part of high school curricula. Right. Um, you know, whether you're taught, you know, whether it's written by a, you know, an American author. So it's, you know, junior year in high school, or it's, you know, a European author. And so it's senior year, whatever. Um I was really surprised by that and is my my question to the people that put it on this list was did you put it on the list because you read it in high school so thereby it's a young adult book or is it there simply because it's a classic right you know what I mean
0: I do know what you mean and I look at that list cuz you we we exchanged notes before mm-hmm. in our prep and I I took your question and I went back and looked at the titles and one of the things well, we should say the 2015 list had a lot more high school curricular, you know, (laughs) titles on it a lot more, you know, what our generation would have called classic canon authors. Um, and the 2021 list, a lot of them were replaced with more updated authors. And I think that's why it's provocative. And I think that is a good thing. It doesn't necessarily say those other books are bad. It's just that, you know, now that there's a lot more that they have to compete with to be on the list. And then as well, um, you know, the age of the protagonist, which we just touched on with little women is, you know, there are studies out there that show, um, teens when they're self-selecting a book to read for themselves for pleasure, they will more often gravitate towards a book that has teens, their own age, It's not that they won't read ahead or read adult books or read books with adult characters. It's just, you know, for pleasure reading, they like to balance that out. And I was thinking about that because, again, going back to when we were teenagers in the dark ages, there wasn't a whole lot available. And so we by default read a lot of books that had adults as characters or classics. Um, And I think if there was a broader range available when we were that age, we probably would have read more teen protagonist books as well.
1: Oh, de- definitely. Without a doubt. And, you know, when, when, I looked at the list, the whole list, a lot of the titles actually, again, because of, of my age were titles that I loved because they were titles I taught. Yeah. You know, when, when I was teaching middle school and elementary school, um, the Westing game, right. the giver, the giver. Oh my gosh. What a, what an amazing Lois yeah. Lowry. I was surprised more of her books weren't on this list, actually, but um <laughs>
3: not myself,
1: Um and then my fa- the my favorite book that I have ever taught to kids is Holes. Right. And oh Louis
0: Seychard, right?
1: Yes. And I was so happy to see because and again, not a book I would have necessarily thought of as a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um but when that book first came out and I read it and I mean, I, I was so excited to teach that story. Right. And I was teaching fifth grade at the time. It was, it was the best experience I ever had teaching a novel with <laughs> it. I mean, it was, and you know, was, I always feel, and I've said this before on the podcast, so forgive me for saying it again, but it breaks my heart for these kids today that don't get the experience of reading a book before seeing a movie because so many of these books are turned into movies now. Right. And we live in a more visual society.
0: We do but you know i think a lot of teens um including the one we'll be talking to in a little bit um really do appreciate the written word and like sinking into a story and a lot of you know there's a lot of studies out over the last few years about whether teens prefer ebooks or print books and a lot of them say they prefer the paper so yeah. there's there's an act of reading that i think a lot of them really appreciate um you know i looked at the list and the immediately went to the titles that I had read as a teenager and there were only eight out of a hundred. And most of those eight had been published long before I was born. So Mm -hmm. it kind of shows that the list itself is far more contemporary. We should mention to listeners, we'll post the list on our webpage and on our Instagram account, but you can also just Google times 100 best YA books and you'll immediately get the result. You can see the list for yourself. Um, You know, we should also talk about, because Holes is a good example, like young adult as a genre is a very fluid term because a teenager changes a lot from the age 13 to 19, right? There's a lot more sophistication happening in those six to seven, eight years there um, than any other time in your life probably. And so what you read as a 13-year-old is very different than what you would be attracted to reading as a 17-year-old, say. So the list itself, you know, has some younger readers stuff and some, and some far more sophisticated books. And I should also point out, um, the last week of September is banned book weeks, banned <laughs> books week, um, by the American library association, where we, we highlight books that are challenged and a lot of books are still challenged across the country in school systems, as you would know, and in public libraries yeah. for a variety of reasons. And very often it's because the books will tackle a social issue, um, you know, in a little bit more direct way than people might be comfortable with. So some of these books will uh, appear on banned book lists. So that might be intriguing for people to investigate. One of the things I like to point out is, and I, I think you would probably agree, Stace. So chime in. We encourage parents. Um, of teens, even though they're teens and sophisticated people to be engaged with what they're reading and to talk about what they're reading so that there aren't any surprises. And often books can be a doorway to a, a compelling conversation. And if you really want to investigate more about specific books or authors that your kids might be interested in, there's a site called commonsensemedia.org that you can go to. And it's a nonprofit, nonpartisan site that kind of helps parents and teachers understand what's in these books like is there sex is there violence is there drugs you know stuff like that um in a very um constructive manner and it actually you know these it's a little bit controversial for librarians but they actually rate the books and they have parents ratings of titles and kids ratings of titles so you can see how they react to these books so you know, some of these titles will be provocative, as you said in the in the past. But there are resources to help you understand right. what they and, are. And you know,
1: it's it's often recommended, you know, to parents. Well, read a book before your child reads it. Well, you know, so you can. Well, you know, it promotes right. that conversation, and you know, you right. have an idea of what they're coming up against, and if there's anything dicey. However, you know, when when my two older kids were growing up. I was teaching, I was in the classroom and I didn't, I had, I had to keep up with my own reading. So the way I handled that is that we would read a book together and right. I would read a chapter and they would read a chapter and, you know, every, we'd switch or whatever, but it really gave us great, rich, in the moment conversation. And it was one of the most special times, you know, with all of my kids, reading with them was just my f- very favorite Thing to do, maybe it's because that's was I was most comfortable. <laughs> with, But you know that it really provided that those opportunities, and you know the one the one book or series of books that we both commented on that is absent from this list that. That is so common between have for parents and kids to have read is the Harry Potter series,
0: right? You know, um, it appeared on the original 2015 list, but it is not in the 2021 yeah. list. And I think you and I reacted to that um, because we both knew what from the moment those books dropped in the late 90s all the yep. way up to today, Harry Potter titles have been instrumental in turning non-readers into readers. Oh, yeah. How often have we heard this?
1: It was such a phenomenon. And, you know, I was principal of an elementary school with a thousand kids the year the first Harry Potter book came out. And it didn't matter socioeconomic background, what color their skin, what gender they were. I would, you know, four out of five kids were walking around that campus with the Harry Potter book. and. Um, it was a, it was a force,
0: you know, so I, I, I was trying to think of why that would be and why it would not be on this current version of the list. And part of it might be because some of the, you know, the early on in the series, the kids, the protagonists are young kids. They're not teenagers yet. So that may be one thing. But those books, even the first book, are very thick books. Like, kids really had to sit down and concentrate on reading these things. And they they were compelling enough that kids would do that, which is yeah. what people reacted to. Um, so I, you know, and J.K. Rowling has been controversial since in the last few years on some social issues. So there may have been other reasons why she would have slid off the list, but I thought that was a curious absence. There were others, too, that we mentioned, like Laurie Ingalls Wilder's Little House on the Prairie books were on the original list and not this one. And I read those twice over as a youngster, you know, yeah, so.
1: Me too. Oh, a million times i loved them. And I love, but the I, I love later versions in the series, you know, where yeah. she's, where she was a young adult. Those were right. my favorite
0: books. Yeah. So, um, I want to give a shout. You've talked about some books that you enjoyed from this list. I want to give a shout out to some books that I enjoy on this list. Um, the first one of course is a book that is might be my all-time favorite book of <laughs> of any age and that's The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. This um, came out in the mid 2000s. Um so- Another thick book, hugely popular. It's an adult crossover made into a movie. Um, it's really simply for our listeners who aren't familiar with it. It's a World War II story from the perspective of a German girl named Liesel, who she's staying with a foster family. And the foster family teaches her to read and write. And they ultimately take in a Jewish man who's hiding from the Nazis um and they bond over language and storytelling and she starts to write her own story as she's learning to write and you know it deals with her love of books you know the nazis were burning books but she loves books and she borrows books from a a person's library and all this stuff and then at one point um you know her street is bombed and she's the only survivor. The book is narrated by death, which is unique opens and closes. And he comes in as a character because it's war and, um, he death comes and saves her manuscript. And later on when the book is ending, she's an old lady. She's living in Australia at this point and she's dying. And so death comes back to her to take her basically and returns her manuscript to her. And she asks him, did you enjoy it? You know, and he said, I really don't understand humans. And the last line of the book is, is I am haunted by humans, which if you've read the story up to that point, it is one of the most poignant sentences you'll ever read. It's a book that makes you cry. It's a book that makes yeah. you think it sticks to your bones. And, and every time I talk about this book with someone else who's read it, I get this reaction of like, Oh my God, I love that book.
1: Yeah, it's so it does. It just sticks in
0: your heart. It does. Yeah. Another couple more that I just love. One was kind of a surprise to me, but I love that it's on this list. It's called Angus thongs and full frontal snogging by Louise Renison. Um, I have not
1: read this book, but I think I need to.
0: Stacy, you would love it. It came out in the early two, like, again, I think the mid two thousands, but I likened it as Bridget Jones for the young teenage set. Um, you know, girls and boys learning to like each other and date, you know, that sort of thing. And like all the hijinks and things that go through. Um, It's just fun. It's, it's, it's a laugh out loud book. Angus is the family cat. So, you know, it's just kind of like this, you know, not a very serious book at all. It was turned into a movie as well. And I'm glad to see that it hit this list because is it it, the tone is just so, so different from so many of these very serious books a serious book that I do want to give a shout out that, like you said, Holes was, was one that you were looking for to see on this list um, or The Giver. The book that I was looking to see on this list was Speak by Laurie Halse Anderson. This came out in 1999 and it's it's kind of autobiographical. It was inspired by the author's real life experience and it's probably the most serious book I know of on this list and it's about a young high school freshman named melinda she's having an end of summer party but something happens she gets assaulted sexually assaulted and calls the police and the party is split up but she won't tell anyone why she called the police she's so traumatized and ashamed and everything and uh what ends up happening is she shrinks into herself because she can't talk about what happened to her right um and so she basically stops speaking stops verbalizing and she communicates through art this art class that she's taking in high school is her outlet and then ultimately the book ends in a good place she is able at at one point to confront the person who assaulted her um and you know it's found out and she's she ends up more of a hero than a victim but it is a serious serious story arc and the book yeah. got tremendous reviews, numerous awards. Um, there's been a graphic novel adaptation made just a few years ago of it. And I know that this is a book that's taught in many upper high school classes. Um, but again, to me, uh, what I find so powerful about it is it's typical of kind of this new genre of young adult book that is it not afraid to address a serious issue that a lot of kids know about and understand is happening around them
1: right well when we have our our guest on in the next segment we're going to talk about a YA book who, that is on this list right that does that does exactly that in such a subtle way you yeah. just don't see it coming
0: well and i think that's what i love about the diversity of this list you know the part of the reason they they went back to redo this list as we talked about was in the latter teen years over the last six years, a lot more has been published and a lot more published by diverse authors, people of color, people of different backgrounds, um, LGBT. Um, and part of that was pushed by a movement for, we need more diverse books in youth literature that from schools and libraries and bookstores across the country, because a lot of kids just weren't seeing themselves right. in these books. And then there was yeah. also a movement called own voices that, um, was like pushing people to write Authentic stories. So if you're gonna write about, you know, an African American teenager, you know, the stories written by African American authors like Jason Reynolds or Angie Thomas um, are going to be the most compelling. And and similarly for other, you know, uh different demographics, that's kind of become controversial in itself, but it definitely had an effect on this list. And there are so many titles on this this list that just come from a variety of different backgrounds, including we are not free, which I talked about a few episodes ago by Tracy Chi about teens in the Japanese internment camps in world war in world war two. So just a lot of really great stuff on this list. We encourage you to look at it. We've already talked about some stuff that, um, was on the old list that is not on. I want to give a shout out to one that fell off the list, (laughs) Um, and that is Roald Dahl. He was on the list three times in 2015. Really? You know, Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I forget what the other one was. But, you know, I, I don't know. He's a problematic author too. Um, you know, in his personal life, he wasn't such a nice fellow.
3: <laughs> right.
0: But right. I think kids and teens are still reading his books and still enjoying them. So I may just be the old fogey here, but um, I was disappointed not to see any role doll on here, but you know, whatever. I was,
1: I was, I was as well, and I think that you know, I I can see why, perhaps, given the the tenor of the times that we live in, mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that his his characters are all these you know white children, many right. of them are of, of privilege, and. You know, um, so I could see why the the lack of diversity in his writing could could be problematic for the people that put this list together. I know that I w- are you thinking ahead instead of looking back? Right, thinking, right. Thinking ahead to the twenty twenty five list. Of what, <laughs> I, mean, I would I would be interested to see you know Friedrich Bachmann. Right. uh Wrote Bear Town um, right. a couple years ago, and I I had talked about that on the podcast. And you know, young people are kind of at the center of that book. I I would be interested to see if that might make this list in the future, um, or you know, what what else is going to be out there. But I think we're going to see as we move forward if they continue with these lists the, the classic or the, the high school curriculum books are going to kind of change or, yeah, I think they're going to kind of fall off. And, um, you know, the one, the one thing that I, I would love to see, and to, you know, if this, a list like this does anything to promote would be that kids, high school kids, especially, you know, you can read outside of what's assigned.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And reading is, is, it's a pleasure and a a way to, to escape sometimes. And, you know, I'd love for, uh, you know, young people to embrace that.
0: Totally. And I, 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 Completely agree with that because you do need a balance of it. There are numerous studies out there now that talk about the results, the impacts of people who are regular readers. By the time they hit teenagers, there's studies out that show they'll be more successful in work. They're more likely to get a managerial type, type position. They're more likely to get into college if that's their career. Um, but there's numerous, numerous studies out there. You know, there's a lot out there on really young kids, but th- the the activity needs to become habit over a lifetime. And again, you change so much as a teen, you're learning to become a bigger person. You're learning to move around in space different. You're learning to interact with people at the store different. It's, you know, literature can really help, you know, them, you know, kind of model behaviors or develop empathy or understand people and the world around them more. You know, that sounded like really old fogey of me, but
1: I strongly believe it. I totally agree with you, and it's probably because of our us both feeling the way we do that we are a librarian and a teacher, respectively. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to hear from the listeners. What did you? If you take a look at this list, what did you think was miss? What were you happy to see on the list, and what did you think was missing? Yeah. So,
0: let us let know. Us know. It, it, once again, it's the Time Magazine's one 100- hundred best young adult books of all time list. If you just Google that, we'll put it on our show page, but if you just Google it, you'll get to it. And I think there'll be a lot of titles on that list that you'll find that you want to read yourself. Check it out. So we're going to get set to have a bona fide teen visit us in a few minutes, right?
3: Yes, I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) And hopefully we'll have... We'll be
1: right back. There we go. Welcome back, listeners, and thanks for sticking with us on this young adult episode of the Oxygen Star podcast. And I'm very excited to introduce one of my favorite young adults, Tessa Adler.
0: Yay! (laughs) They can't see us, but we're clapping right Um, now. Welcome, Tessa.
1: Hi. We're so glad you're
2: here. Thank you for having me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and you're the first young adult, actually official young adult that we've had on as a guest on our, on our show. This is cool. exciting. Yeah, Very you're setting, exciting.
0: Setting the standard. So we've just spent a good half hour talking about the Time Magazine's 100 best YA books of all time. One notable exception will be the book you brought for us to talk about today, which we'll get to in a second. But... um because we want to hear a live young adult tell us <laughs> about this book. Um, Tessa, I want to jump in real quick because you and I have something in common. Well, Stacey and I have something in common. We both have family members who now work for Dave at the bookie joint in Mammoth. Dave list- listeners will remember we have him on at the end of every year to talk about our 10 best lists, so 15 best books of the year. Um, but Tessa, you now work at the bookie joint.
2: I do. It's a lot it like? of fun. I love it. It's a lot of fun and it's a really good environment. And you, Can you describe
1: what do you, you feel the environment's like?
2: It's very calm and it's just like it all around has a good vibe.
0: <laughs> Dave appreciates that mini commercial. <laughs> it's, it's really, so describe it a little bit for our listeners because a lot of our listeners don't live in the Mammoth area. So what does the, to store look like? And um, what does it have?
2: It's just, a, it's a little bookstore. There's like a kind of like a witchy section or, and there's like incense and crystals and all this stuff. That section's pretty new. So it's mm-hmm. that's exciting. Um, and then we have, you know, our used book section, our regular sections, our children's section. We also have a list of the best like indie bookstore books and we have a big shelf with that, and that's like the that's big awesome. thing. And they also,
1: what's Daddy's favorite part of? If, Go- if we need to be explicit, listeners, Tessa is my daughter. <laughs> what? <laughs> what what is
2: Daddy's favorite part of the bookie joint? The Legos, yes, the <laughs> giant Lego section.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. They have games, right? Yes,
2: yeah. they have games, puzzles, everything. Yeah. W-
0: it's which a I nice heard,
1: little independent bookstore.
0: No, it's mm-hmm. a great little independent bookstore. And I heard through my contacts that, um, full disclosure, my husband works there now on some days during the week, including with Tessa, is that during the fire closures and the forest closures, a lot of families were up here and didn't plan on being indoors. So they came in and bought a lot of games. Is what oh, I heard. yeah.
2: We sold a lot of puzzles. Our top like selling item is books because we are a bookstore at its heart and at its core. But the second quickest selling items is like puzzles and Legos.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So commercial over.
2: Yes,
3: commercial (laughs) over.
1: (laughs) Tessa, we always ask our guests about how they got to, you know, come to Mammoth do you want to share your origin
2: story? Well, I was born here, so <laughs> you're one of the very few guests we've had who was born here. Hmm. That's true. Well, Mom, you know you know it better than anyone. I was, in fact, born here. Yes, <laughs> I do.
0: <laughs> do you like it, Tessa? Is it a good place to grow up?
2: I think it is. I don't really have any experience about growing up elsewhere. Right. But I think it's nice like walking into the high school and well my freshman year anyways. Right. I knew everyone. And then now since we've had the school off, then you're junior, you have all the new freshmen and a bunch of new kids. Right. It's but I still know like a very good percentage of the school. And I know where all my classes are and all the teachers. So I think it's a very good, stable environment to grow up in.
1: That's awesome. And what, what activities are you involved in?
2: Uh, I'm a cheerleader. I play bass in the Jazz and Symphonic Band. And I'm the secretary of ASB. I'm in the National Honor Society. And I'm in the Leo's Club. And, and you still and found you
0: time to work.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, and I have two jobs.
0: <laughs> Stacy, it sounds like you're working this poor child to um, death.
1: You know, it's no wonder I never see her.
0: well i think she takes off to her parents from what it sounds like (laughs) yes
2: my mom was at the hair salon the other day and my cheer coach works there and she goes i saw your mom today she was working while getting her hair done so sounds
0: sounds like stacy
2: yeah apple doesn't far fall far from the tree (laughs) That, that can be a good
1: thing but sometimes not so
2: we won't we won't explore that but
1: you are, you know, we've been talking about young adult books on this episode, Tess, and you are a reader. You I do am. Like read. Tell tell us about that.
2: Tell us about reading? Not reading. Yeah, what do you like you to know, read and why? Um, I really like fantasy and dystopian novels, but the book we talk about today is actually one of my favorites. Um Great. I like to read because it just kind of like takes me out of where I am without like the headache of looking at a screen and sometimes I can just like I can turn like the thinking part of my brain off and turn the creative part on That's which great. is something I love That's- is that
1: something that you're seeing you know in this you know since we've had the pandemic and y'all were doing all your learning on on a screen are your are your friends or other kids your age do you think they're going more towards reading actual books now because of that?
2: I think being on Zoom last year did affect a lot and did cause a big jump in reading because after spending all day listening to your professor or your teacher lecture you, you don't want to like watch a show. You don't want to stay there. You don't want to hear Yeah, you don't want to hear anything. So I think a good portion of kids are reading now but like not as many sh- as not as many that should be reading. <laughs> if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. Can I we
1: wise beyond your years? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can we ask you one more question? Cause Stacey and I were chatting about this in the previous sure. segment with the hundred books that time magazine had chosen. Um, You know, most of the books on this list, they had put out a list in 2015, six years ago, and a lot of classics and old authors on that list, and a lot of books that had adult protagonists. The characters were adult age. This list is far more updated with newer writers and diverse writers, and almost every book on the list, the protagonists are teenagers. You know, it's written at that kind of that age. When you're looking for something that isn't a class assignment read, you're just looking for something to read, like the book we're about to talk about. do you look for books that are have characters your own age, or does that not matter to you?
2: I do tend to look for char- for books that have characters my own age because I really want to be able to connect with the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the adults in like classic novels and stuff, well, cl- the thing about classic novels is a lot of them are filled with like tropes and stuff tropes and character Mm -hmm. arcs and it's very very i don't want to say reused but it's very very schooly maybe (laughs) like right most of the classics are what we read in school so when i'm looking for a book i want something that'll take me out of that so i do try to look for a book with like a character my own age or character my gender something Mm -hmm. like that um because i want to be able to connect deeper. And if I, if the main character is like filling out tax forms for her loft in New York city, I'm 16 and I live in a small (laughs) suburb. I'm not going to be able to like get what she's going through.
0: So you would agree then that, you know, our, our kind of premise with this last segment was there's just so many more diverse authors. There's authors of color, a lot more female authors, LGBTQ authors, you know, people from all over the globe feeding the literature now of what teens are reading. And so you think that that's important based on what you just said, right?
2: I Yeah. I think it is so important to have diversity in your characters and your authors in anything and everything, because the world isn't just one section. It's not just one group of people. It's not just one sexuality. It is so important that you represent everyone.
0: That's great. So everyone can have a chance to see themselves and what they're reading.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome.
1: So the book that we're, that we all read in preparation for today, do you want to introduce it, Tessa?
2: Yes. So the book is the perks of being a wallflower. And it's one of my favorites.
1: And it's written by Stephen Chabowski. And can you tell us a little bit about it and why it is your favorite?
2: Okay, so I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's one of them. One what of your
0: it. favorites. Sorry.
2: Um, the book is about a teenager named Charlie who lives in, I believe, around Chicago. Maybe I'm not really sure, but. It's a book about this boy named Charlie in the late 80s, early 90s, and he's writing letters to this stranger. We're not really sure who this stranger is, but he's writing letters about his life and about dating through high school and new friends and dealing with past trauma. And I really, really love this book because not only is it a great in-between read, like if you're going from some wacky dystopian book to... (sighs) the great Gatsby it's perfect (laughs) to just like, like a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. It's, it's also a really good book because it like, hmm, how do I, it has bits and pieces that everyone can relate to. And then the ending is just kind of like, wow. It's like your jaw kind of drops and you're like, that's why I think it's a great novel to read multiple times rather than just one. Because if you read it all the way through read the end, then you can kind of pick up on the little clues throughout the novel the second time.
0: So it is. So one of the things that struck me, um, first I'm going to ask you a question and then I am going to tell you what struck me about this book and you can react to it. First of all, the, the book was published in 1999. It was a huge hit when it came out. It was actually one of the books that came out via MTV and their publishing imprint. And it was made into a movie a few years later. Um, and it's still read today even um but it is you know it is set in like 1991 92, like a school year right and was that an issue for you Tessa to, in choosing this book or or did you, i mean cuz that 1991 is fairly different than 2021 right you know so what how did how did that impact your whether you liked the book or not
2: um i re- i don't I think it it was a little bit confusing at first, if I'm being honest. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really sure when the book was written. Mm -hmm. So I was like, is this the 70s? Is this? And I'm not really, I don't really have any experience in other time periods other than my own. (laughs) Right. So when Charlie would call up Sam, I was like, huh? Okay.
0: Not just text them. Once I
2: kind of realized like what time period it was in and what it was set in, I was like, oh, okay, this is making a lot more sense. And I think, but I think a lot of the, even though maybe like some of the settings, I guess, and like objects are different than they would be nowadays. I think a lot of it is the same and -hmm. you can interpret it into like nowadays. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: so the thing i wanted to get your reaction to that i enjoyed both of your reactions that i enjoyed about this book is that it's it's it is written in letters it's 1991 so it's letters it's not emails it's not texts it's not tiktoks um but uh you know it's letters from charlie to this person that we're never introduced to at all um and it's kind of like it's almost like a diary in a way of like what's been happening from him, you know, since they last wrote and it's very confessional. Um, and you learn about the other characters and we can talk about them in a minute, but this whole book from start to finish is from his, it's, it's his voice. Right. And i actually thought that was something that made the book very powerful to me instead of like going back and forth between characters, voices. I'm curious what you guys thought.
2: You go
1: first Tess, and then I'll add.
2: Okay, I agree. I thought it was so nice that we got to see it from his perspective because all, although I would have loved to see like what was running through like Sam's head or someone or what's her name? I read the I didn't read the book like that recently, so bear with me. I think Mary Kate, maybe
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Mary yeah, Elizabeth or something. Mary like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I
2: would have loved to see what was going on in her mind too. I think it was really really important that we got Charlie's view yeah. because like. The ending, he didn't even realize this was going on, so it was kind of like we were going on a journey with him and not with all the characters, just with him.
3: Yeah.
1: And I, I, so I, when I read this, I just always thought he was writing in a journal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never even considered that it might be an actual person. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but I just, and that's why I thought, you know, his signature love always charlie was just so sweet because if he's writing in a journal you know he's not really writing to a pr- person i don't know i so that's that was one takeaway and then you know when i read young adult books i tend to approach them from the point of view of a teacher oh okay and one of the one of the things that i thought of as i was going through is all the different assignments i could give my students well how does patrick write this you know rewrite this scene from Patrick's point of view mm. or you know put yourself in Mary Elizabeth's shoes how would you feel you know it gives you so many opportunities to explore how the other characters might be reacting because you get this singular vision of what's happening
0: so, so there so there is just to really bring our listeners up to speed there's Charlie who's the main voice character and he's kind of like this kind of shy coming out of his shell high schooler
2: he's a wallflower he's a wallflower
0: wallflower. there you go perfect that's where the title comes from Um, (laughs) over the course of the school year writing letters and then there's uh tessie you can chime in here there's sam who is
1: she's the she's like his old a, a friend she and Patrick are stepbrother and stepsister, and they're seniors, and Charlie's a freshman, and they kind of adopt him. Mm-hmm. Would that be fair? Yeah.
2: Uh they kind of adopt him, but I also think it's important to point out that Sam and Patrick are 17, 18. Charlie's 16. He's older than an average freshman would be. He, Charlie's my age, and when I was a freshman, I was 14, and I'm a junior now. Right. So I feel like that is very important because I've changed a lot since I was 14. So it's not just like a couple of 18-year-olds kidnapping a 14-year-old.
0: Right. And you kind of figure out at the end of the book, it kind of becomes clear why Charlie is older as a freshman because he's been yes. through some stuff. Yeah. And then there are these other characters. There's um, his older sister, whose name I forget, and his older brother who goes off to college and is a football player in college and his parents. And
2: it's and just kind of like aunt. That-
0: his aunt, Helen, right? Yes.
2: She's a big driving force throughout the book. And And so so is his teacher. So is his teacher.
0: Bill. Bill, yeah. Yeah. And so it's Charlie kind of documenting through these letters the course of a school year and the things that they're going through. And, you know, I loved it because it's, you know, I love high school movies. I love, you know, everything from Fast Time at Ridgemont High all the way up to today, like high schoolers hanging out and just going through the hijinks that they go through. There's a lot of hijinks in this book, right? Like dances and parties that parents probably don't want them to be hanging out at, you know, that kind of stuff. The book doesn't shy away from that that stuff. And um, the other thing that I'll point out to our listeners is it it hits an issue right on the second page. And so I'll just say it out loud because it's the beginning of the book. One of Charlie's friends commits suicide, And it has a profound effect on Charlie. And it echoes through all of his letters to this person throughout throughout the book, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. It's not really like one of his friends either. It's like his best friend. Yeah. He only really has, until he meets Sam and Patrick and becomes friends with them, he only really has this friend. Yeah. And he kind of goes through high school dealing with that. And yeah. And that's why it's so great that he meets Sam and Patrick, but that's also has like a much deeper meaning when you really process it throughout each of his letters. Yeah. And, and the
1: fact that when you find out that that isn't the only trauma that has affected this young person, you know, there is so much more going on
2: in this character. That not even he knows about until the end of the book. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. Which I thought was fascinating. I don't know if we want to give that away, but you know, um, as I kind of jokingly remarked to you, Stacey, before we talked about, I was reading this book and you know, the beginning is so powerful because his friend commits suicide and you know, his reaction to that, like he cries, you know, he's, he's really emotionally, um, affected by it. And then he cries at multiple points throughout the book. And other people cry, too, for a variety of reasons. But I was reading this going, like, at one point, I was like, this is kind of awkward. He's a very emotional kid. And then by the end of the book, Tessa, to your point, it becomes really clear what he's been through. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my gosh. Well, of course, you know, he's he's still recovering from some stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Charlie's emotions are very prominent, espe- yeah. especially to the point of, like, well, he's not... He's not just a normal high school boy. He's got more things going on. And I think it's important that, like, there is no such thing as a normal high schooler. Everyone right. has their own stuff going on. So when teachers like reduce this down, like, okay, I'm assigning you 50 pages of homework in a two page paper, read it, get it in to me by tomorrow. And, but it's so important, like, each individual student has their own levels. Like some need to take care of their siblings. Others have to go to work and then others just have nothing to do. I think it's really important, even especially from a teaching perspective, which I'm not a teacher. I'm a 16 year old. But
0: (laughs) But you live with one.
1: Yeah. Bringing up the point of Charlie crying often throughout the book. And he does yet. You know, it seemed like especially Sam and Patrick, They had so much patience for that. That was the one thing that I wondered about, you know, were, were these just two really uniquely compassionate um, understanding kids, you know, because I, I don't know that most 17 and 18 year olds would have that much compassion for a younger kid who just like bursts out crying at, you know, what seems to be a, a small kind of thing.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, I really think that Sam and Patrick, that since they've gone through a little bit of trauma of their own, they right. understood it more than an average 17 or 18 year old. So I think that's why they were so patient with him is because they kind of understood what he was going through, even if he didn't understand it. Right. But I don't think, I don't think most seventeen year olds or eighteen year olds were in touch with their emotions with their emotions as much as Charlie was because even though he cried a lot, most 16 year old boys I know if you talk to them, what's the last time you cried um I don't know when I was eight
3: yeah uh, yeah from
2: pain or from like sadness, sadness uh I don't know, probably when I was like nine. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's They're very, and if, you,
1: and if they want to cry, they don't, yeah, right? They
2: push it down, like, and it kind of yeah. turns to anger a lot because a lot of people see emotion as fragile, as fragile and feminine, even though that's it's completely ridiculous. Everyone is going to have emotions, and if you see them as something gendered,
3: right? Yeah, it's,
2: your sadness is going to turn to anger and it's gonna end badly
0: yeah totally
2: well tessa we know
1: that you um obviously you are a reader and we loved having this discussion with you about the perks of being a wallflower um but what you mentioned you like dystopian novels and yes what are you so what are you reading now
2: right now i'm on the third book in the maze runner series called the Death Cure, and yeah, it's very good so far. I really liked the first two. I was really excited to get the third.
1: Oh, well, and, and we've talked about how sometimes when you have a trilogy, the third novel is disappointing. Yes. How, how are you finding? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. It's been a little slow so far. I mean, I haven't, since school started, I haven't had very much time to read on my own just because I am constantly doing my activities and reading in school and reading for, reading for school. I haven't had really had time to read on my own because when I get home, all I want to do is just pass out and go to sleep. So when the chances I do get to read, the book has been a bit slow. I was, yeah. When I finished the second, I was really, really excited to read the third, and I'm about a hundred pages into the third, and I'm kind of like, "Okay,
0: pick it up, bring so back that,
2: the other characters now."
0: <laughs> and that's—we <laughs> should mention that series is by James Dash, Dashner, right? Yes. Um, did you read the Hunger Games books as well?
2: I read the first Hunger Games book, but I did not read the rest. I. I don't want to like sound. Mm-hmm. You know. can sound judgy. We yeah. sound.
3: judgy all the time. <laughs> I, all the time.
2: <laughs> I just, I didn't love it, and I thought yeah. for how much hype it got, it still gets. I it was it wasn't my favorite, and I found it really boring.
0: So you I, liked these books better?
2: Yes, um, but a book I really liked that has kind of this dystopian feel mm-hmm. was the Selection series. Okay. But a big problem I find with dystopian novels, especially when the main character is a lead female,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: is that the writer tries too hard to make every single girl feel like her.
0: Ah, right.
2: And their main character ends up just coming out bland and boring and, quote, not like other girls, you know, special and different. And it's it's kind Of of like misogynistic and boring.
0: Right. Right. And that's by the selection series is by Kira Cass. We should yes. mention.
2: Yeah. I really did like that series, but I did find that the main character, America Singer was a little bland.
0: <laughs> Can I ask you why you like dystopian as a genre?
2: Um, I like that it takes me out of like modern day society, I guess. Mm. Like, not, but not in a historical way. Right. I like that it's like something cool and different, but it's not like Mary Sue tending to the goats. It's.
3: <laughs> I love it.
2: It's a lot, it's v- fun, it's exciting, and a lot of the times there's like action elements into it, yeah. which makes it really, really exciting to read.
3: Yeah. And
1: so the the next series that you're itching to start reading, yes. is that a dystopian series? Can you tell us yes. what that is? Yes. So that okay. series. I, I want to read it too, but I can't remember what it is.
2: It's called the match series. And it's about, I'm not sure who it's by, but it's about when you turn like 17 or 18, you get matched with a soulmate. And like, you're just kind of stuck. You just, that's your soulmate. Oh well you fell in love with your high school boyfriend. Too bad. This is your soulmate. <laughs> this is what you do now. And it's kind of about how the main character like deals with that because she's very in love with her boyfriend.
1: I well, I'm excited cool. to read after you're done, of course.
0: <laughs> and we'll find out the author for that series. So we'll put all of these up on the show page as well. Cool. So people who might be interested. I will we will point out none of those series that you talked about show up on the time list. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Another maybe in
2: twenty twenty-five. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yes. yes. I mean, I just I find dystopian novels a lot more. A lot less substancy than mm-hmm. like John Green novels because John Green is a fantastic writer. Right. But his books end so sadly. <laughs> <laughs> the Fault in Our Stars was really, really depressing. And when I read, I don't want to be depressed. <laughs> I want to be like, oh my gosh, they jumped off a cliff. Cool. Not, oh.
3: died of cancer. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. No, that, like, that,
0: he's, he got accused of starting a whole sub of young adult books called sick lit with that book because oh. <laughs> others copied, yeah. right? It was so oh, successful. Yeah, like
2: five feet apart. That's right. One. right yeah, exactly. I did not read that book. Um, nor do I think I will. I will ever read that book. <laughs> it just, it seems really, really deep pressing. I, yeah.
1: I have to say I'm with you on that. I, I, if I know a book is, is imminently sad, I really don't yeah. I I don't like to wallow.
2: Yeah, I avoid movies like that too. Like you will not catch me watching the notebook. Could you be my daughter, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you Something I do like to do no, is me recommend sad movies to people. I do like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> I'm bored. What movie should I watch? Oh, The Notebook. I heard it's really funny. <laughs> right. Oh,
0: you won't catch me watching that. So, um, <laughs> well, Tessa, it's been great having you on. Thanks for Thank being our special guest. Thank you for having
2: me. Thank you, Tessa. And Thank the book
0: you. we will put these books up on the on the on the show page and on Instagram. Um, a great conversation about Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Um, I think all three of us would recommend it. Right? Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So thanks for being here, and listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, our young adult episode. Remember, you can find us on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, where you can reach out to us, too. You can also find us on our Facebook and Instagram accounts, O2Starved. We welcome your comments there. Would love to hear what books you liked about the 100 list, what you thought about Perks of Being a Wallflower, or what books you thought we should be talking about as great young adults novels in the meantime enjoy the beginning of fall and we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks stay safe everyone take care thanks for joining us here for oxygen star our outro music iron bacon is composed and performed by kevin mccloud in compotech.com Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.